Hi, I'm Nick Pye. And I'm Justin Wright, and welcome to The Stretch Tapes, and our COVID-19 special, in which we'll not go into huge depth on the latest developments, headlines or lockdown frustrations, but we'll try to explore a few different implications of the global pandemic. But before we get started, a quick reminder of who we are and why we're here. We run a company called Mangrove, which helps businesses grow and stretch. We work with a range of global companies, mid-sized fast growers and startups, including five of our own. We've always been super interested in new ideas and the success factors that drive personal team and business growth. We even went as far as capturing our collective learnings and researching other fields beyond business, such as elite sport and the military, and flipped it all into a short, power-packed, era-defining page turn of a book called Stretchonomics. And of course, whilst Nick loves a business book, or better still, a white paper, I'll not have any such thing in the house. Give me an infographic or an executive summary that just shows me how to apply the theory. So in these podcasts, we try to explore our topics in a balanced way that keeps both the purist and the pragmatist happy. We aim to look at exploring complex topics with a range of experts and from the worlds of business, brand and beyond. Well, what could be more of a challenge and more fundamental than the current COVID crisis that we're all facing? As I'm sure we're all painfully aware, COVID is a dual challenge. On the one hand, it's a healthcare crisis forcing every demographic everywhere in the world to utterly change their behaviours. And on the other, it's an economic crisis pushing millions into unemployment and financial uncertainty. This throws two sets of change drivers into the mix. We often hear about the fact that the pace of change has never been as fast as it is today. When that point is made, it's normally in a presentation accompanied by a visual of cars whizzing along a highway with blurred headlights. But what we've seen happen in the past three months really has seen our reality change at warp speed. We've seen booms, busts, inversions, contradictions, and much more. In the US, e-commerce, which has stubbornly refused to grow at more than 10% year on year for the last decade, has unsurprisingly increased to 25% within a month. We've seen a boom in bread makers, hair clippers, bedroom DJs. We've seen the seemingly contradictory 40% rise in cruise bookings, despite Carnival experiencing over a thousand very high profile cases on just two of their vessels. We've seen celebrity culture, if not die, certainly take a bit of a hammering. Our heroes are healthcare workers, no longer the Kardashians or Kanye. A hundred year old man walking up and down his garden releases a single which outsells the brightest and best music stars backed by the BBC. Bizarrely, all this sort of stuff seems to make us feel more together at a time when we physically had to stay apart from each other. We've also seen a whole genre of advertising rise and fall. We all recognise the sad piano music in these challenging times, we're in this together, and now changed and give way to the same kind of ads, but with more upbeat, brighter music, offering hope at the end of the tunnel. As we'll hear, according to research, nobody can actually remember which category, let alone which brand these ads are for. But the fact they're on TV is a shot in the arm, I guess, for advocates of agile principles and processes raising questions around if we can do it this fast in a crisis, why not in everyday ways of working? We've also seen in the last two months as much as two years worth of digital transformation. I think we've all suffered the rise of Zoom and Teams in our personal and professional lives. For sure. And it's a confusing pitch when we speak to our clients. Some have budget slashes and are facing headcount challenge. Others are booming and unable to meet demand. The one consistent theme seems to be that few will be able to carry on as business as usual. Yeah, they're bewildering times for sure, Nick. I know you're not the only one who's been struggling without access to hair clippers. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that consumer and customer behaviour has changed because it's had to. These sort of dramatic and enforced changes in circumstances have driven what we can and can't do. 
and the rules which have been set are the same for everyone. In parallel, we're being served up endless data and macroeconomic modelling from the big strategy houses on the potential shape of the recovery curve. We've seen the U, the V, the bathtub, the bounce, the dead dog. I'm sure those last two are roller disco moves. And every week we hear startling stats and the headlines of companies and even entire categories on the cusp of going under, interspersed with the occasional bright spot of a category booming against the odds. True enough, there's a lot of noise out there, noise which in this podcast we'll try and cut through. We'll focus on the business bit and the stuff we're qualified at least to have a view on. So that means nothing scientific, nothing medical or political. This is not the time nor the place for amateur epidemiology, fun as it might be to share our newfound knowledge. Yeah, I agree. There's more than enough amateur experts on social media at the moment. I suppose it's fair to say that as a business, we believe that disruption can create as much medium and long-term opportunity as it does short-term anguish, discomfort and pain. And even as a born pessimist, I subscribe to the view that tough times always spawn a whole host of inspiring success stories. So given we know pretty much for certain that things won't go back to exactly how they were, the question for me is what opportunities will the new reality bring? In this podcast, we speak to three experts in very different fields to try and understand what's really going on, what might happen next, and how brands and businesses might get ahead in the medium to long term. It's worth saying that the only rule in all of this is not to trust anyone who says they know exactly what's going to happen. The whole point is, I think, that no one knows yet. And yes, that is a geeky tip of the hat to any growth mindset or Carol Dweck fans. This is the simple truth is this has never really happened before. Yes, we can learn from past pandemics, economic crashes, depressions and conflicts. But this situation is unique in its speed and global reach. It's perhaps unsurprising that we're desperate for certainty in all of this, however tenuous it might sound. There was a business expert on the radio last week talking about what we can learn from the South Sea bubble burst. That was the last biggest equivalent economic crash in the UK, but it was in 1720, and it only really happened in England and a bit of the South Sea, although no one really told anyone in South America that it was going on at the time. The most exciting thing was that some senior politicians poisoned themselves, but we promised not to go into politics. So after the answer, we might disappoint. But what our experts do bring is perhaps some interesting perspectives. So we spoke with Paul Laver. He's co-founder of the award-winning research agency, One Minute to Midnight. He's a consumer and customer expert who uses an understanding of fundamental human values to interpret our behaviours. He'll share some thoughts on whether and how our deeply held values might be impacted by COVID longer term and whether our behaviours might actually bounce back. We also talked to Toby Allen, who, with his creative partner, Jim Hilson, was recently voted the number one advertising creative in the world. He works for London-based AMV BBDO. We actually originally set up the conversation to talk about the power of big ideas and being creatively brave for our next podcast. But the conversation naturally led to COVID, so we included some of his thoughts here. And finally, we talked to Naomi Rosenthal, who is a principal at South Pole, an environmental consultancy. We've had the pleasure of working alongside her, defining sustainability strategies for some big consumer brands. We've heard a lot about how COVID is shining a light on the health of the planet. So we wanted to get her thoughts on whether COVID would slow or accelerate sustainability in big business and in wider society. First up, we hear from Paul on how big disruptions change and challenge our values. It's worth calling out that some commentators suggest that our behaviours are harder to change than we might think. But Paul looks at how past events have fundamentally changed values and resulted in some pretty big shifts in society, although they're hard to predict. 
There are some amazing statistics knocking around at the moment. Only 9% of UK consumers want to go back to life as normal, with over half wanting to make a positive change as a result of COVID. Begging the question, of course, what the other half are up to. 90% of US consumers think the impact of COVID will be permanent. You're very right. It's very difficult to actually right now predict what will the macro futures be because there are plenty of potentials out there on a values level. If we look kind of historically, historic responses to kind of grave upturns, there hasn't been consistent responses. If we look at perhaps two big ones of, of kind of recent memory into the 2000 and 2008, it led to eventually a massive global movement into some more traditional, more conservative values with the end points being Brexit and Trump. But after, say, 9-11, there was an increase in the idea of sort of things around sort of adventure and, uh, and fun and, and indulgence and people kind of seeking to have those sort of things sort of going on in their lives. So it's not necessarily, we don't necessarily approach or respond consistently on a, on a values level to these seismic changes in our environment, in our cultural surroundings. So some genuinely interesting thoughts from Paul that raise the question of how the so-called new reality could look as a consequence of fundamental shifts in human values. As we talk further, he outlines how he thinks our values might change, with the potential for a simultaneous reawakening of traditional values, while at the same time an embracing of the values of a post-COVID-19 world. A recent poll in the US saw over 40% of people felt that community had been strengthened by COVID. Paul goes on to highlight how the pandemic might jolt us out of some of our behaviours or disrupt our addictions, as he puts it. Well, the lockdown has forced us to do, as you, as you rightly say, is to trial different new or nostalgic behaviours, uh, behaviours or, or behaviours that we sort of uh, may, maybe sort of uh, let go of, uh, sort of along the way particularly around sort of some sort of sort of deep sort of human values in terms of kind of sort of creativity and self-expression and also around the ideas of kind of sort of kindness and, uh, and social sort of responsibility and also finding kind of new avenues for things like sort of fun and indulgence as well. Some of these values may have been kind of important to people before and they'd forgotten about them and these sort of forced behavioural changes may get them to almost to, to remind themselves about the benefits that they have in terms of their kind of their sort of mental and um, and, and kind of physical uh, sort, of, sort, of, sort of wellness and well-being and so moving forward this may kind of cause them to sort of reevaluate their lives sort of slightly and to and to try and sort of express some of these values more uh, more sort of consciously um, in terms of their behaviors as, as they as they move forward um, I think for other folk, it's actually sort of almost challenging them to try living their lives in, in sort of different ways. Particularly, I think, uh, if you think about things around the ideas of kindness and humanitarianism uh, or universalism that's been kind of forced upon sort of some folk. Now, there's a lot of evidential data around the benefit of practicing kindness in terms of making oneself feel kind of happier or, again, sort of having a, having a, a thinking about sort of society having a, having a, a positive impact on people's kind of well-being so if people are sort of starting to do things that are making them feel better then perhaps are unlikely to sort of carry them moving forward so it's almost to cut a long story short there's almost sort of two things happening one is perhaps reawakening sort of old values and subsequently moving forward they'll look at behaviors that they'll do to sort of express these and other ones is, is perhaps to sort of challenge people and look at look at the values that they, they that they were leading and perhaps perhaps give ones that were perhaps a little bit recessive uh, some more priority um, in their lives so new ones as well
we're creatures of habit, aren't we? Sort of human beings, but there's some people sort of say we're about 60, 70% sort of habit. So to change habits, change addictions or whatever we want to call it, uh, and we get addicted to behaviours that perhaps we get addicted to potentially to, to behaviours that express a certain value, to actually make those changes would have to be pretty sort of fundamental. So the benefits of these coping behaviours would need to be pretty clear for people um, and, they, and they would need to understand and see that kind of benefit of that behaviour on, on their well-being and subsequently perhaps behaviours that they're perhaps doing less of and uh, things perhaps they were addicted to it, it, sort of in, in the past, they'd have to have a very kind of clear sort of understanding of the, of the or quite a conscious understanding of the benefits that they're seeing so they don't slip back into them. The triggers will be there again for those behaviours. So yes, to a certain extent, I think they are kind of coping mechanisms and whether they're to stay, I think depends on the conscious benefit or disbenefit of the kind of behaviour that they're doing to express these values. If there are some big changes going on, we asked our experts how they felt brands and businesses had reacted. I think if one spends a bit of time on LinkedIn, something which, like any social media platform, is perhaps not so good for the soul, one might feel pretty good about things. There are lots of people very proud of the companies they work for and the way in which their businesses have reacted. Our experts, however, are a bit more cynical. In particular, they call out a lack of differentiation in how businesses are responding and even whether brands should or even have the right to have a view at all. They challenge relevance. They question why, why now, why from your brand? Here we hear from Toby and Naomi. I think the COVID-19 crisis has thrown up quite a few challenges and one of the human responses to those is to panic. And I think Mark Ritson posted on Twitter, you know, there's panic buying, panic briefing, panic uh, creating, panic, <laughs> panic media booking. And I think a lot of people have kind of thrown out what their brand sort of stood for in a desire to be relevant and reflect the feeling of the times. And of course, everyone has just ended up looking like the same because they're just holding up a mirror to what's happening in the world. And because what's happening in the world is new to when you're making it I guess to the marketers or the agencies making it it feels like this is new but it's everyone else has had exactly the same thoughts at exactly the same time so you arrive at a point three weeks into the crisis where everyone's coming out with the same stuff and very little of it is true to what the brand was doing three months earlier so yeah it's just there's just a lack of differentiation I guess and the, the brands that again have thrived or stood out are either doing something to solve the crisis and just getting on with doing it and, and maybe in a low-key way telling people what they're doing or they're being entertaining or they're finding a new way to offer their services or to build on their services that responds to the current times and the challenges of those and the opportunities of them and then they're marketing those. Recently, I also heard somebody saying, oh, EasyJet just sent me an email saying that I could have free baggage if I book a flight now. And that EasyJet is here to help everyone during this crisis and now offering me free baggage. Where was EasyJet when my luggage was 500 grams too heavy? I also think that consumers are seeing through some of these campaigns. I don't think that every company is necessarily going to benefit from some of those campaigns because consumers, they're not stupid. And in some cases, they know very well that companies are just struggling to find a way to continue to get consumers excited by their products. And this is a way of trying to connect to them. But unless that's a company that's really truly been doing caring actions or involved on global health for a long time, it can also seem a little bit disingenuous. In terms of resetting the baseline, 
perhaps. Perhaps there will be a greater expectation for companies to consider their consumers and their consumers' needs and to be there. In these next clips, we hear from Paul and from Toby around the much talked about concept of authenticity and some very sobering advice from Toby. I hate this word, but you, you know, you've got to be authentic, right? <laughs> One of the great uh, red marks on marketing of the last sort of five years was the Kardashian Pepsi ad, which is a, is a very kind of clear demonstration of a brand playing a very strong values hand in terms of kind of universalism and uh, embracing humanity that had no permission to do it. And had, had clearly not sort of understood what their brand meant in terms of people's lives on a values level. Not only was it creatively sort of a, a little bit flat, it, in terms of um, that the real problem with that is that people saw right through it very, very, very quickly. And I think this is, this is one of the great challenges for, for, for business and brands that they've kind of, uh, that they've sort of not been up, up to scratch over the last sort of, sort of 10, 20 years is they stick brand values on. And just calling them brand values is, is initially is, you know, this is, this is, you've got to believe, you've got to live these, these values sort of day, day to day. Everything that you do needs to be kind of in line with those values that, that, that you espouse to, the way that you communicate, the way that you provide services to those, those folks, the, the product extensions that, the, uh, that you do. They have to be authentic, sincere expressions of your values because consumers, it's, you know, it's why they kind of, there's this rising sort of torrent of dissatisfaction towards brands is because they, they stick these things on without sincerely living them. Uh, so if a brand espouses any kind of value, it needs to sincerely and authentically live it. Otherwise, consumers will call you out on it very, very quickly. If you haven't got anything nice to say, shut up. And, and here it's almost the opposite. Everyone's tripping over themselves to say something nice when they should actually shut up. So if you haven't got anything differentiated to say, shut up. You'll work with market research agencies like Ipsos. And we were in a debrief the other day and they said the, the amount of misattribution from one brand to another within these sort of COVID-19 related communications was just through the roof. But for the first time, what they were seeing is it was misattribution across categories. People couldn't tell if it was an insurance company or a soft drink or a beer or a range of furniture. They just had no idea what was being sold to them or who the message was from. I like that. If you don't have anything to say, don't say anything. Great advice in life, not just in a COVID crisis. Taking a step back a bit from consumers and short-term reactions and looking beyond the themes of authenticity to brands and businesses actually behaving based on their values rather than talking about them, it raises some fairly fundamental questions around what big businesses really stand for and whether they actually know what their values are and why they exist, not just now, but into a post-COVID future. In these clips, Paul and Naomi talk a little bit about some shifts which were occurring pre-COVID. And whilst they don't totally agree, there are some common themes. When you have major business associations indicating that companies are not only, you know, they don't need to only meet shareholder requirements, but they also need to create a social good. That is a significant departure away from where we were in terms of a purely capitalistic viewpoint. Now, the extent to which that trend, which I would argue was already happening, is going to change due to Corona, I do think that there's going to be, you know, more movement towards regulating companies, whether that will include the environment and other sustainability related aspects. Um, I think it's too early to say for sure. There's been some challenges in the last 10 years anyway, to the capitalist 
sort of model at, at quite a, a surprising level. It, it, it hasn't had a, a massive impact on the day-to-day -day running, but the, the thought, the thinking has been put in place. So, you know, even the, the ultimate neoliberal publication that is uh, the Financial Times is talking about new capitalism sort of mo moving forward and has quite a, a big agenda sort of around that where it isn't the, the sole important kind of stakeholder in the equation isn't the shareholder, it is the staff, it is the environment, um, it is the kind of societies are sort of around it, it is the customer. So there was a sort of movement even before COVID. Now, uh, the question being, uh, sort of like, to me, is after COVID, uh, you know, the, the times are going to be, uh, we don't know, but I, I, I'd imagine the times are going to be pretty uh, sort of high stress. Now, under, under high stress, people tend to revert back to the things that they know right a little bit so perhaps you know we'll see a um going back to kind of sort of again a sort of ultimate sort of uh you know all this sort of uh, good behavior sort of drops and you know um and uh, uh, uh to uh, using uh, um inverted commas around around good behavior so my my thought around this in terms of businesses is that they need to understand again without sounding like a broken record is what are their values and the, 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 when they do practice sort of good things, are they in line with their values? So you can do good behaviours that aren't necessarily always humanitarian and um, kind. You know, you can you could do things that were perhaps more fun, that was in line with uh, with perhaps one of your your core, core values, or more pleasurable, or more uh, or enables people to be more kind of creative, or even allows people to be more uh, respectful and, and and polite. As long as you're as a business is doing things that are kind of in line with what you actually believe in the good behaviors and you're very right the good behaviors have tend to be very one-dimensional they've been very much around kind of humanistic and kind and there are other expressions of it and i think i think that the consumers and the the, the people out there will be much more respectful much more appreciative of a brand living its kind of sort of values and and kind of also having a positive impact on, on the world around I, for one, would love it if businesses and brands became a bit more fun and human. It would undoubtedly be a good thing. It's also interesting, too, that they both mentioned the S word, sustainability. We've spent a good deal of time in the last 18 months working with clients in and around this topic. The big question we wanted to get Naomi's view on is whether COVID might accelerate the sustainability agenda, or as Paul suggests, the stress will drive businesses back to the old ways. I think she makes a positive and balanced case to give us all some hope. Hope that sustainability won't get kicked down the road despite the change in economic situation. One thing that we do think about a lot is also the potential for COVID to derail the environmental sustainability agenda. What we see at the moment is a lot of changing priorities, changing needs, changing requirements. Dealing with an acute immediate pandemic is just on so many different levels for everyone involved from the individual to companies, to governments, is just disruptive. And so then the question also becomes, when will the dust settle and how will it settle? And is there the risk that we lose time that we can't really afford to be losing when it comes to the battle on climate change? So far, we're not seeing that. We see everyone from consumers to voters to companies to governments continuing to press on these important topics. But of course, it is something that keeps us up at night is what if this important and very unfortunate crisis disrupts the progress that has been made to date. Yeah, I agree. It's difficult to ignore how the lockdown seems to have had a dramatic impact on our environment. 
whether it's images of fish in the canals of Venice, crystal clear images of previously polluted icons such as the Taj Mahal or the LA skyline, emissions have taken a big dip, the biggest since World War II. CO2 output is down nearly 20% on this time last year. And in developed markets like the UK, it's down over 30%. Some of this might bounce back, but some might not come back at all. Air travel is an interesting case. 60% of international flights were grounded in April. Cathay Pacific went from carrying 14,000 people a day to just over 400 this month. So whilst the decline is dramatic, the question is whether we'll travel in the same way as we did before COVID. The COVID crisis has shown us all a few things. Firstly, that something that we would have not expected can radically change the way that our world looks and works. It's also shown us that we are able to adapt. So we are quickly able to adapt to completely new realities. And it has also shown us that we're very, you know, it's a global world that we live in and we're very interdependent on what others are doing. So when we talk about social distancing, not just being for ourselves, but also being for others, suddenly we realize that, you know, something that may have happened at a market in China somewhere is suddenly completely changing our world and causing people in Europe, people in North America to live in a very different reality. And I think just that realization that we are in a globally interdependent world has huge implications from a sustainability agenda perspective. You know, what it shows us is that sustainability and you know climate change may suddenly quickly very intensively change the way that we live because we are dependent on what everybody else is doing but that we can adapt to that sometimes it's causing a lot of people to reflect on some of these things and and, and to take that very seriously it might be that through covid Finally, we all start to see the real and direct impact of our behaviours, and it might start to accelerate changes in our values. If that were to be the case, one can imagine some large-scale and rapid shifts akin to the acceleration in digitisation or e-commerce we've seen in the last couple of months. This phenomenon is what Anand Samuel from the tech agency CB Insights calls gradually then suddenly. It's an exciting and somewhat daunting prospect, depending on your personal view and where you work. I think what will most likely change our expectation of companies and brands. There's a new normal being set. And as with COVID ads, we see on our screens, the challenge will be both to be authentic to what your business is about and to differentiate. In the words of Run DMC frontman Chuck D, if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. But less prosaically, I think that if you stand for the same thing as everyone else, no one's going to notice you. I think that's true. We're already seeing a race to zero at a corporate level, which, depending on your business, is either pretty straightforward or as complex as it is audacious. It's accelerated not only by so-called green investors, but also the mainstream. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager with $7.4 trillion under management, wrote an open letter pre-COVID to CEOs. He was clear. I believe we're on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance. Climate risk is an investment risk. He goes on to write, we believe that sustainable investing is the strongest foundation for client portfolios going forward. There is no denying the direction in which we are heading. Now, that's pretty bold and pretty unequivocal. And the last three months, whilst putting pressure on the short term performance and position of companies, won't have changed that. Yep. And what's really interesting is that it's not just at the corporate level. We're seeing brands play in this space, too. It's so a much talked about stat that Unilever's purpose-driven brands like Dove, Nor, and Persil are growing twice as fast as their non-purpose-driven peers. 
Now, perhaps this is driven by a combination of internal focus and investment, but it's also by connecting with things that matter to consumers. As growth becomes harder to find, perhaps those are the ingredients for success. Naomi gave us some perspectives on this, some of which connect to the themes we started off with Paul. We could be experiencing the impact of climate change in a very real sense through COVID. There's a perception that nature is thriving while we are struggling. In the UK, 51% of people claim to notice cleaner air, and 27% think there's more wildlife around. This might bounce us all out of at least some of our addictions, as Paul called them. Consumers and individuals, they're basically learning that life can be also nice doing very different things. So not going on vacations that are far away, spending more time just enjoying simple things. I think that we're adapting very quickly to a world which in many ways might be more sustainable. And I'm not sure that some of those trends might stay with us. So some consumers may find that they actually quite enjoy life in the way that they're living life now. In terms of their viewpoints on sustainability and whether they think climate-related action is more important as a result of COVID, I think that's going to also be influenced by the extent to which the link between air quality and COVID becomes clear. So there's been quite a lot of research coming out of Harvard, for example, or a university in Italy, in Bologna, I believe, that has shown that there is a link between poor air quality, so people who are just exposed to pollution, and the extent to which that they might need to be hospitalized or fall gravely ill due to corona. That's something that once the research becomes clear, if it becomes clear that there is that link, that could really change people's perspective when they see a smokestack somewhere and they know that this could actually cause them to become gravely ill in the short term. That might very much uh, change their view. I think it could be possible, yeah. Time will tell, but for sure, if COVID does shine that spotlight on the importance of climate, then consumers are going to have expectations vis-a-vis the brands that they enjoy and the governments that they elect. Yep, I think it is a balance. As consumers, we're often more interested by the tangible impact we make, the things we can see and touch. I think it's hard, much as big company supply chains are hidden from our view or emotionally or physically distant from the point of consumption. I think it's easier to think about what our running shoes are made of as we look at them in the shop than think about the manufacturing or distribution footprint. Adidas's work with Ocean Plastics NGO Parley, with a little help from David Attenborough, has seen them sell 5 million pairs of runners made from Ocean Plastics. As consumers, we love it. We can see it and we can touch it. I think we think possibly care less about manufacturing emissions and the working conditions. When thinking about brands and sustainability, it's worth thinking about them as an iceberg. You need something which consumers can see above the waterline, but now more than ever, you have to have the rest of your business in order below the waterline. If you can't do that, maybe it's better to say nothing. Wise words indeed. And I think with one eye on the clock, it's about this time that you generally make some smart ass summary comments. And I know you've been preparing them, and I'm excited about this one, given what we said about being very wary of anyone who thinks they have the answer. Happy to oblige. Look, I think it is pretty obvious to say COVID-19 will be a defining moment, defining event for many of our lives and careers. Its impact's global, deep, from a consumer behaviour perspective and a macroeconomic perspective in which we will operate. We're already hearing clients talk about life BC, life before COVID. So look, here's a few of the uh, key takeouts for me. Firstly, our behaviours have changed and even some of our values do look likely to have changed for good and we need to know what the implication of that's going to be. I think brands and businesses are already starting to respond in the same way because they are 
reading the same data, feeling the same panicky uncertainty as consumers. And that's resulting in communications that all look the same, regardless of category. I think moving forward, the key is that brands and businesses need to be a bit brave and to break out of that conformity and be prepared to do something that others haven't thought of or aren't prepared to do. And that might mean taking a risk. I also think that Toby's right. I think many companies don't know how to react because they don't know what they really stand for or what they stand for in this new world. And if you can't do that, then how can you react in an authentic way that's true to your brand? So I think more than ever, companies need to have a clear sense of purpose over and above shareholder return and growth targets. How about you? What were your takeouts? I think I'd agree with all of those, but I also think the sustainability area is interesting too. And I think there's three real observations I'd make. I think the first is that as COVID eases and the inquiries start, it's possible to see a more direct link between the damage we're doing to the planet and our own behaviours. I do think that this will change the rules of how we judge big companies, both in terms of how and where our pensions are invested, but also who we choose to work for. And at a brand level, as consumers, where we choose to spend our money. I think the second point is, as with COVID, the area of sustainability from a messaging point of view is becoming increasingly undifferentiated. There's a great website that we found that looks at Fortune 250 companies and who's claiming what. And the overlap and repetition is startling. This is very good news for the environment and the right thing to do at a corporate level to keep the likes of Mr. Fink and employees happy. But it's terminal for brands. The third point I'd make is that a strong brand is relevant to its target and different from the competition. Sustainability is increasingly important on both of these dimensions. And added to this, there's a need to make a genuine difference to avoid any woke or greenwashing. Finally, I think all of this means that we will see a shift from companies and big brands who are looking to reduce their impact to actually trying to make a positive impact beyond their footprint and to make the world a better place. Yeah, I agree with that. Nicely done. I think a decent list. Look, we hope you found this podcast both thought-provoking and helpful and that you got something useful from it. Without sounding like the current generation of COVID ads, we wish you every success, attacking the opportunities which may emerge from the disruption. So with that, it's a massive thanks to Paul, Naomi and Toby for their time and thoughts. And as ever, please do get in contact to let us know if there are any topics you're interested in or even people you think we should be speaking to. 